Please believe me when you receive extra attention. I guess you stressed, arrived overdressed. Not your intention. You know the story. It's too hot for me. Don't make me spell it out again. 'Cause now I see the wood from the trees. My revelation. Hello and welcome to episode twelve of Harmonious World. This is the first episode of series nine. Can't believe I've got to series nine on this podcast, which I started as a something to do during lockdown, and it's just taken on a life of its own, and I love it. And I particularly love this episode. I'm interviewing the charismatic jazz vocalist Emma Smith. I know her family well. And that will come out a little bit in the in our conversation, I'm sure. But I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. What you are hearing now is my revelation, which is track seven on Meshuggah Baby, which is out now. There's a lot to talk to Emma about, and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World. I am delighted to be joined by singer-songwriter Emma Smith. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. No, it's a great pleasure. Brilliant. And we've discovered that uh, I know your parents and I knew your grandfather very well. So that's really nice as well. That's amazing. It's, it's really, really special. Yeah. So tell me about this album. For a start, how do you pronounce it? Is it Meshuggah, baby? It's Meshuggah Baby, exactly. That's exactly Ex- correct. I love the cover versions that you've done, but I absolutely adore the originals. I oh, think your thank songs, you. uh, my favourite, are My Revelation and Ballad of a Wayward Woman. I oh, love both thanks. of Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I actually didn't want to put originals on, on the album at all. <laughs> I had such a, a bad sort of self-image of of how you know this this jazz album would be received if there was originals on it, and I just thought, oh, I really, I really shouldn't. And Jamie, my long-term collaborator, Jamie Saphir, the piano player and like co-arranger and co-writer of everything, I um I was like, oh God, do we have to sort of thing? <laughs> and he's like, we really do, because he was thinking about PRS and stuff, and I was just thinking about the album being a success. Um, but I'm really, really glad we did because they feel so intrinsic and important to the record in really kind of that expression of self through the music and through the journey of the album. And it's a long record. There's 13 tracks on it, but they they are all important tracks and, and it wouldn't be the same without the originals. And funnily enough, they've been the ones that have uh, have had the most sort of plays and 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 radio time since its release yeah because although the your arrangements are very interesting the 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 cover versions that they're they're classics aren't they they're they're in the songbook and they're ones that a lot of singers do and have done 
what you do, I think, especially on there's no business like show business. That's an that's a really interesting version. <laughs> so I want to talk yeah. to you about that in a minute. But I think as an, the album as a whole, uh, I think that your yours fit really nicely in with it. So I'm really glad you did put those in. I think we actually had quite a lot of the covers, well, the arrangements dotted out already. So Jamie and I had arrange no business and we'd arranged was it I don't care that feel uh, some of these songs you know I've we've done them in such a different way and we've performed them live so much before we recorded them some of them some of them were just fresh on the day but that they feel like originals now you know I I just I feel myself in I don't care I feel that that female that just really doesn't give a yeah <laughs> and um it's it's really awesome to be able to sing that music. I mean, that song was written by a woman in 1910, obviously sung famously by Judy Garland. We released the album around Judy Garland's 100th birthday. And and they just feel, there's a very blurred line between my originals feeling almost like old songs and then the old songs feeling like originals. It's very confusing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, they, and, it, and it does feel like a, it's a woman's perspective on life, isn't it? That's totally. Album, which I that's love. Obviously. Totally what it is. And that's what the title represents as well, you know. I, I wanted to play on, I wanted to do a play on Yiddish words, on a Yiddish word. And I was going to, and the word Meshuggah or Meshuggahna, it's, um, it's a Yiddish word for a crazy person. Or, you know, Meshuggahna is, is what people that speak Yiddish or in the Yiddish Jewish community would be like, Oh, there's that Meshuggahner over there. The person who is the crazy one. Um, and so much of my life has been spent being told I'm a crazy woman because I'm, I have big dreams. I go out, I set myself um, the task of actually achieving those, which is so shocking and unusual. I'm very ambitious. I'm loud. I know what I want. I get what I want most of the time because I make it happen, etc. And having grown up as those things being something that I've been teased about, it was time for me to kind of just turn that around in a tongue in cheek way and name myself that, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, and when, when I was thinking about the title, I was going to call it my sugar daddy because of the, you know, sugar, the sugar sound in that word. And then I thought, no, because there's a chance that some people out there might think that it was paid for by a man. <laughs> but right. I want it to be known that I self-funded this album and I, <laughs> you know, I, I did everything myself. I'm unsigned. And so, um, yeah, I'm my own Meshuggah daddy. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, but is you know, we know about the women who have these vanity projects that are paid for by a man and everything. And, and this mm. is absolutely not that. And the content is not that either. The content <laughs> is not, you know, oh, thank you for everything you've given me, whoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's actually like, this is who I am. And it, while you were talking, it's really interesting because obviously I know your mum and your dad and I can see them both in you. Really? But Yes, but you are very much your, your person. And mm. they would, they'd love, I mean, obviously they, that's, they would celebrate that. Um, the fact that you've taken what you've been, you know, your heritage, whatever, but you've actually made it your own. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've been aware of your career for, 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 for several years, but 
this feels like a proper almost like a coming out this yeah. is almost like here we go yeah this is who I am and I, I heard you've had a couple of plays on um, jazz fm and things haven't you so this is my arrival um yeah. and and what's interesting about the way I've done it so I'm 31 now and I have been singing on a professional stage since I was about 16 and that mostly was because of my granddad who you knew and uh, he was a trombone player and he used to play with the likes of Sinatra and Shirley Bassey, Oscar Peterson, Johnny Dankworth. And he started his own big band. So I kind of grew up in the old fashioned way in music of doing it in real life, as opposed to conservatoire, study, bedroom, YouTube tutorials. I was like on stage. And I remember so clearly one of my one of my most vivid memories when I when I started getting you know serious was my granddad made the singers do a um, a dominant seven arpeggio, one, three, five, flat seven, and sing one. Right? And I got the flat seven, and I think I was 16 years old, and I couldn't pitch it. And he didn't sing it to me, he just went, because my granddad was a very unusual man, and he was like, one, three, five, flat seven and pointed at us to sing them and I couldn't do it and it was in front of the entire big band and really that really triggered the sort of shaping of me becoming a musician singer and it it definitely wasn't in the most um sort of empowered (laughs) setting no it wasn't and my granddad was like that he was a fierce ferocious sometimes scary man and I practiced singing all varieties of arpeggios with sevens and nines and elevens and thirteens until I could sing that I could sing you them all at the click of a finger with no kind of like um support of hearing it before I sang it and thus began my sort of education in music so there was this really I mean it sounds a little bit like the film Whiplash and I'm not going to lie it kind of was in some ways people always jest about that but that was kind of what it was like for me and then I went to the Purcell School and then I went to the Royal Academy, but I was always gigging. And that kind of ran through my entire like musical education. However, when I when I left college, I I went straight and I was so lucky that I got the gig with the Papini sisters. But I, I then spent my 20s, the entirety of my 20s gigging and being a sideman. And, you know, then I got I got the chair to, to share the, the the role as the singer with the Ronnie Scott's All-Stars. And I'm, I've been touring with these amazing, like, properly established acts as somebody who's like, oh, one day I want to do my own album. So long story short, this sort of 10, 15 years chunk of working and gigging and being on stage in a variety of settings has led me to release my album later. Whereas most singers, especially being a front person, would release their album early and then try and get a career off the back of that. And I've done it completely the other way around. So I really know, I have total clarity that this record is what I want, is what I love, is what I'm committed to. Does that make sense as to the upside down journey? Yeah, yeah. And, And I think that is what allows you to arrange those standards those classics Mm. in a in a very different way because you are addressing that as a musician not as a singer Mm. so you're Mm. you're addressing it as you know how do we how can we play with those melodies and those the rhythms as well I think you do you do more than just play with the melodies you play with the rhythms as well and I like that and that is a musician's approach 
It's because I'm a frustrated drummer. <laughs> <laughs> my my wonderful drummer, Luke Tomlinson, on the album, I've been playing with him since he was like 22. No, no, gosh, 19. I can hear him saying, no, I've known you for much longer than that. But when we first started working together, I was so <laughs> very similar to my granddad. I was um, militant about like, when he played the snare and when he moved to the ride and when he was on brushes and at what point he was comping with me and at what point he was like improvising with me. I mean, it was a bit much probably in hindsight. However, <laughs> I, I am very, um, very much a frustrated drummer and I use my voice and consonants, 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 consonants of words to be my percussive tool. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's because you because uh, you also play around lyrically. So with um, no business, you mm. don't start with the first line of the lyric. No, and I was like, have I missed? I have to keep sort of rewinding, <laughs> thinking, have I missed a bit? I love that, Hillary. That's amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. No, you hadn't missed it. It was on purpose. <laughs> yeah, and I I love that because you're. Mm you're playing around with it and and I would much rather hear a different version an, an arranged personal version than you know someone doing something in in just a slightly different way well I mean Ethel Merman did it once and for all that was it yeah, exactly you know in, unless you can re unless you can embody that song in the way that Jamie and I did like I took in that lyric and I found myself in it and I'm sure the reason why it's connecting with people, especially when we do it live, which which I'll come on to in a bit, but it connects with people because they see themselves in it. That's why I chose the opening lyric to be, there's no people like show people. We right. smile when we are low. Because that is it. You go on stage anyway. The show must go on. I mean, we've heard this concept and it's banded around and show was like, the show must go on, you know, put your happy face on, stick a face on and go on stage. But in reality, that is exhausting and painful and inauthentic and necessary and all the things. That's how we make our money. You're not going to go on with a face like a smacked ass and get paid. It's just a concept that is um, is thrown away. And I wanted to, I wanted to pause on it. And that's why it's a seven minute ballad <laughs> with no yeah. solos, because I wanted to sit in that in as close to meditation as possible and allow that performer whether it be an actor a dancer or whoever a teacher you know the teachers go and do the same things and I wanted them to exist in that and for the listener to honor them and that's why I do it at 50 bpm 50 beats per minute as opposed yeah. to there is no business like you know it's yeah. very important to me yeah and it's a it's it's haunting and it's mesmerizing and I think it's that you know you've slowed it down you've played with the lyrics you've made it your own and and I think as, as you say you know you, you could do the show version and that would be great and I'm sure it would be lovely and people mm. would, would go yeah that's good she's a great singer but that's not what you've done here and, and I, that's why I love this album oh thank you <laughs> so tell me the mechanics when did you when did you write the originals and when did you record everything 
Oh God, it's so varied. Um, for example, Monogamy Blues, which was inspired by the lyrics of Making Whoopi. It's like a 2022 version. That was written a while ago. That was one of the first things Jamie and I wrote together. And then um, something like your favourite, um, My Revelation. I wrote it in lockdown, just thinking about Connor, Connor Chaplin, the incredible darling of the double bass who's on the album. Um, and then Ballad of a Wayward Woman, I'll be real with you, and I've not told anyone else this because I guess there's a stigma attached to it. I wrote it, okay, I finished writing it on the morning of the session. In fact, whilst the boys, the trio, were recording their intro, I think, or the solo, I was still writing the lyrics <laughs> in the studio. So there is a big span. But in terms of the record, we did one session in 2019, and then COVID hit and my voice changed and I scrapped half of it. And we went back in 2021, um, no, 2020, December 2020. And then, did we? I can't remember. Basically it spanned from 2019 to spring 2022. And I ended up, my voice has changed a lot. Um, I had some vocal health stuff. And also just my my voice has developed in a way that it wasn't at when we did the first session. So it's a, it's a bit of a patchwork quilt of three years. Mm. Right. Do you think it changed? Do you think your voice changed? Because in COVID, you were singing in a different way. You would have been singing, you know, less, less and not in big auditoriums and to lots of people and things. I wonder if that's... no. I don't think so. I I think my voice changed because I changed. And and it was to do with COVID, but my sounds pretentious, but there was a dropping in of myself that occurred as I turned 30 and and, and I I accepted myself on a deeper level than I ever have. And with my voice I previously had a tendency to perform in a way that was perhaps unconsciously less authentic than I do now. And I was fearful of using uglier sounds. So when I say uglier sounds, it's just like in inverted commas, things that sort of stretch and, and go like nasal and, and pokey. And then right. some things that go like really deep and like plummy and like reverberant. It's, I was fearful of that and I used to kind of flatten my sound out and make a, a more pretty, feminine, uh, approachable, bright, joyful sound. And I did that with, even with my speaking voice. And I think it's because of just growing up as a woman in this industry, you know, you morph yourself yeah. into whatever way is going to be A, the easiest and B, the most successful. But that was all in my head. And after COVID, when my career got t taken away from me, like it did with everyone in the performing arts... I didn't care anymore. So I just really allowed who I truly was to come to the forefront. And that was in my musical choices, in my actual vocalising and in my personal life, there was a real shifting of, hmm, this is who I am and this will absolutely be thread through the fabric of everything I do from now on. And that meant I had to re-record some vocals from my album, <laughs> really. It genuinely, yeah. tra genuinely um, transferred to the physical vocalising of song.
That's amazing. Mm, so it was it was a cause, you know, it's partly because of the COVID thing, but it's not isolation. Yeah. 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 That's um, that's amazing. I mean, I think it's incredible to hear stories of musicians who have had there have been positives from such an awful, awful thing, you know, such a, a sort of a stopping of every creativity of a lot of people and and musicians I started this podcast in May of 2020 because I had some time on my hands and I thought it'd be interesting and somebody said to me well all these musicians are sitting around at home and they they've got time so why not interview them and I've spoken to amazing people I mean Maria Schneider you know she's Mm. like my love Grammy you know yeah, yeah I know and she's she's very she talks the way you talk which is she gives zero you know yeah really like <laughs> fill in the blank yeah fill in the blank <laughs> um, and and I love that and I love the fact that you know she's a lot older than you she's a bit older than me you know but you have that same approach which is let's do what we do let's do it the mm. best we possibly can mm. and if you don't like it that's fine go and listen to somebody else I tell you what it is it is the most freeing thing the last part of what you just said is something I have not accepted and not believed yet said out loud for much of my life. And having gone to like conservatoire and been in a variety of successful bands, leaving the pressure of personal success as the as the forefront, as the pinnacle of of being a valid human. I don't know if, if that sentence made sense, but it did in my head. So if I failed in the eyes of success, right, and numbers and being on stage and having sellouts and have, whatever, you know, whatever kind of like statistical things that the record industry or the outside world has said equals success. If that, if I didn't reach those goals that I set myself or that I felt were set upon me, then that was a failure. And the biggest shift, which is what you just said, was to know that doing what I do authentically to the best level I can is the success. So when I released this album, I had a little word with myself because I've been signed to major labels before and I have done pop projects that have had a sort of taste of, of that kind of commercial success, right? And that was all very exciting and very dizzying, but it was at a big price, which was that the music was not me I was sent to fat camp every morning to work with a personal trainer seven days a week and put on a specialist diet with a nutritionist I was I was faking it for the payoff of success and streams and whatever right um so bef- the day before my sugar baby came out, I had a word of myself and it was like, I felt that kind of, oh God, but what if people don't stream it? And what if people don't like it? And what if it just gets like one like on Instagram, etc. fill in all the variety of validation you can get. Um, and my fear around not having it. And I just was like, no, no, but I had to have this word of myself. I have stepped out of that. I look at this album. I genuinely love it. It's such an un-British thing to say, but I love this album. I think every song on this album is fun or is emotionally infused. It totally represents me. The trio play amazing. The artwork is hilarious. The title is is me. And so I'm 
I'm not signed to a label, okay, et cetera, et cetera. I'm blabbing on a little bit now, but this was the pep talk I had to have. And it concluded with, I love this. I don't care what the response is because I love it. And so to sort of birth it and surrender it. But yet <laughs> when I did that, it's been more successful than I ever imagined it had have been. Does that make sense, Hilary? It does. It does. And, <laughs> so and I think, weird. But that's because that comes across in the music. Mm. It comes across it both in the choice of music, uh, you know, the choice of tracks, the, the arrangement of the tracks, the, the arrangements of the mm. tracks, everything. It comes across as kind of, here we go. This is, you listen to it and that's mm. fine. But your 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 response does not give me the validation. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, it does in some ways. Well, but... it does when you've already got it internally. Right. Yeah. Because I have a confidence that I've never had in my life ever. I mean, I used to release music being like, I'll know if it's good after I released it, dependent on the response. But right. now I'm like, I love this. This is excellent. I hope you enjoy it too. Bye. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do, then great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very freeing place to get to. It's great to hear that pe artists I admire so much, like Maria, feel the same way about their work. It's really oh, cool. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and I think if, if, you, you, if you've reached that at the, the tender age of 31, you know, imagine what you can do in the next... 40 50 years of recording you know and you can be an inspiration you can be an inspiration for younger women for all of us mm. because and that's okay I just really um resent the polite apologeticness of how the world wants women in the arts and in the in the whole world to behave I, I refuse to to participate yeah now <laughs> I did but now right. I refuse to participate yeah no and that's that that comes across it comes Thank across you. in this album it comes across in talking to you <laughs> so, so yeah good for you yeah. but, but not in a not in a patronizing way I and and you know not in a I think that that whole male gaze thing is that as as women and as women performers we tend to need the male acceptance of what we do we have done in the past and now 100%. it's okay to kind of go okay it's not like that anymore my um I have this fire this drive in me that came from the stories my mum told me about her experience being a young saxophonist in the world in the 70s, 80s, 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 80s. <laughs> because she's she's roughly the same age as me so okay. definitely the 80s I get but confused. we started we started in, we started in the late 70s but basically our you know musical careers were in the 80s yeah absolutely so in the 80s in the early 80s when my mum was like a late teenager or in her early 20s I can't remember sorry mum um and it, it took a long time over the course of my life for my mother to open up about what happened to her in that period of time but my mum is a brilliant lead alto player oh yeah she is she is really seriously an excellent musician and she studied and she had a terrible time at school and so the saxophone 
was her outlet. The saxophone was where she found her home and her place in the world. And so it was her, it was the reason why she woke up in the mornings and she studied and she shed and shed and shed. That's what we call practicing as well. I don't know if anyone else uses that. And then would send her tapes of her playing along to whatever big band chart, Glenn Miller, Count Basie, Ellington, to a variety of big bands at the time, which still had a sort of touring theatre outlet. For example, the Glenn Miller Band or Sid Lawrence or, I don't know, BBC Big Band, whatever. And my mother told me about times when she would leave the E off the end of her name. Her name is Simone, and she'd leave the E off the end of the name when sending the tapes so that it read Simon, right? Yeah. And she would fly through the audition process. She would instantly get booked because her sound was so authentic and she could read anything. And it would be like, great, when can you come in, Simon? (laughs) And, And then it would be, you know, the next Saturday or whatever. And as soon as she walked through the door, it was this shock of oh, you're a woman. And and she actually got said, got told, you know, you're a brilliant lead alto player, but I'd rather have a cardboard cutout on stage than a woman. And in another musical outlet in another orchestra, she was told when she turned up as Simon <laughs> that, um, you know, she could stay, you know, they were very disappointed, but she could stay if she wore this little skirt, you know. Yeah. So, so it was either get out of here, we'd rather have a carbocotta or a terrible man on sax than a brilliant woman. And thus kind of formed her life. And it it, it stayed with me. And I, I feel I feel myself like on a mission to kind of correct that in as loud and unapologetic big way as possible. That's really interesting. Your mum and I have had conversations about this. One one of my uh, earliest memories as a professional sax player was and, and your mum and I never worked together because people two two sax no. there were never two girls you've got to have one either yeah. one novelty or none yeah yeah absolutely or or you can be in um uh Ivy Benson's band oh yeah exactly that was absolutely. it those were the, the yeah. only options yeah. That were they were the only options and I went for an audition for a um a big band that was going on a cruise liner mm-hmm. and got through and they did that thing where, where everybody sort of just came in. And if you, if you were still sitting there at the end, still playing, then you were in. And mm. the guy took me aside. The manager took me aside at one point. He went, I'm really sorry. We're going to have to let you go because there's going to be, there, there are, there are two girl singers and they can share a cabin and we can't have you on your own in a cabin because of the you know the cost of it and I said well I'll share a cabin with a bloke there are loads of these guys that I know that it would be fine I'll share a cabin and they were like no 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 you can't do that so really sorry but and it was like how is that a thing how is that gives me chills Mm. crazy and that the sad thing is and I can only speak for my mum but there would have been so many opportunities like that missed that could have had avenues off the back of them that could have shaped my mum's career in a way that she will never ever get to experience. And I think something that really hurts her is now there seems to be a tokenistic booking of women, which is very, very 
upsetting for my mum's generation because they missed out and now often then now not getting the platform that younger women in jazz are getting and yeah. this really hurts yeah because there's no correcting of that so you know uh, a trumpet player Georgina Jackson and I have started a big band and it is our absolute mission to create equal and I really mean equal not just tokenistic booking of young sexy of the moment women and men in jazz but of yeah. everybody who deserves this platforming who perhaps missed it right. like my mum's generation so yeah. watch this space for that very very exciting project but it you know that story I've, I've shared with you and what you just shared with me is the spark for the creation of the big swing brilliant truly diverse you know this is something that we see it's like diverse programming and like a ton of women in their early 20s of course women in their early 20s deserve to be platformed as well but it's it's not actually truly diverse no 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 and brilliant I'm lovely to hear those plans that's very exciting and I'll wait to hear from hear about it tell me now about what you've got coming up in terms of live shows and and that sort of thing well, I've just finished um, the tour of my American-ish songbook show, which was a celebration of Jewish excellence in jazz and the great American songbook, which is not very American at all. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> yeah. all written by Jews, apart from Cole Porter, who wanted to write like a Jew. <laughs> right. But um, we, we, took, we took that on the road. Yeah, it came to its fruition uh, when the album came out. And... Um, we just finished that tour last week. Now it's it's very much like spot shows, but I'm excited to announce that I am playing at Ronnie Scott's, playing My Sugar Baby uh, on the 21st of September. Um, and in the meantime, bits and bobs as and when they come about, but everyone yeah. on, on my website and on my mailing list is, is stayed up to date with that. I have um, The Big Swing, the the big band I was just talking about, are launching at the London Jazz Festival on November the 18th. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And in the meantime, I'm very honoured to say that I have been nominated for a Parliamentary Jazz Award, which is something that I dreamt of since I was 16 years old. And yeah, if anything else comes up, just check out the website or the mailing list, msmithmusic.co.uk and all yeah. the socials and stuff I'm an avid Instagram user <laughs> brilliant <laughs> fabulous that was amazing Emma thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate so your time you're so so welcome thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure open her eyes to another day well that was one of my favourite episodes right to wrong, singing a winter song you're listening now to Emma's composition, Ballad of a Wayward Woman. She's certainly got so much to say, both in her music and in her attitude. And I'm so excited to see how she gets on in the Parliamentary Jazz Awards, which is out any minute. Uh, and also to see her at Ronnie Scott's. That's on the 21st of September. And then the big swing as part of the London Jazz Festival on the 18th of November. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode of Harmonious World. Please do share and review. It really does help. 
statistics are going up rapidly for a harmonious world, which is great. Thank you to those of you who've been listening to this since the beginning. Thank you to those of you who've only just recently found me. So this is season nine, episode 112 of Harmonious World. I'm Hilary Robertson, and I really hope you can share what you're good at and make this world a little bit more harmonious. Walking on broken glass, watching the years roll past Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>